know I promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak worm person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Psalm 76 In Judah, O God, you are known. Your name is great in Israel. At Salem is your tabernacle, and your dwelling is in Zion. There you broke the flashing arrows, the shield, the sword, and the weapons of battle. How glorious you are, more splendid than the everlasting mountains. The strong of heart have been despoiled. They sink into sleep. None of the warriors can lift a hand. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both horse and rider lie stunned. What terror you inspire. Who can stand before you when you are angry? From heaven you pronounce judgment. The earth was afraid and was still when God rose up to judgment and to save all the oppressed of the earth. Surely human wrath gives praise to you, and the survivor of your wrath you restrain. Make a vow to the Lord your God and keep it. Let all around bring gifts to the one who is awesome, who breaks the spirit of princes and strikes terror in the rulers of the earth. Amen. Reading from Ezekiel chapter 46. Thus says the Lord God, The gate of the inner court that faces east shall be shut on the six working days, but on the Sabbath day it shall be opened, and on the day of the new moon it shall be opened. The prince shall enter by the vestibule of the gate from outside and shall take his stand by the post of the gate. The priest shall offer his burnt offering and his peace offerings, and he shall worship at the threshold of the gate. Then he shall go out, but the gate shall not be shut until evening. The people of the land shall bow down at the entrance of that gate before the Lord on the Sabbaths and on the new moons. When the prince enters, he shall enter by the vestibule of the gate, and he shall go out by the same way. When the people of the land come before the Lord at the appointed feasts, he who enters by the north gate to worship shall go out by the south gate. And he who enters by the south gate shall go out by the north gate. No one shall return by way of the gate by which he entered, but each shall go out straight ahead. When they enter, the prince shall enter with them, and when they go out, he shall go out. Thus says the Lord God, If the prince makes a gift to any of his sons as his inheritance, it shall belong to his sons it is their property by inheritance. But if he makes a gift of his inheritance to one of his servants, it shall be his to the year of liberty. Then it shall revert to the prince. Surely it is his inheritance. It shall belong to his sons. The prince shall not take any of the inheritance of the people, thrusting them out of their property. He shall give his sons their inheritance out of his own property, so that none of my people shall be scattered from his property. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I read a few different uh, sections out of this chapter because we're going to cover this entire chapter uh, this week, because I'm wanting to to conclude uh, Ezekiel here in the next few weeks. But um, we began it at verse one. And remember, as we're looking at this whole uh, thing dealing with, um, with Jesus being the temple, 
right? That that our Christ, our Jesus, his body is is the temple of God now. That that he says, well, tear down this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it again. And the, and the Pharisees get, get upset and say, well, this took so many years for this to be built and you're going to rebuild it in three days. And they, and John writes and says he was actually talking about the temple of his body, that, that Christ is the temple for us. And that also, uh, in a way, um, apart from what we uh, sort of observe throughout church history, he is our Sabbath, right? That he's the combination of both uh, our, our sanctuary and our rest, those two things together. And so as we're reading this section of Ezekiel, hearing about this temple that's never been built, and more than likely is probably never going to be built, uh, we have to uh, read this in such a way that we see where Christ is for us here, how Christ is fulfilling this portion of prop- prophecy. And so we're told the gate of the inner court that faces east shall be shut on the six working days, but on the Sabbath day, it shall be opened. Um, the The idea being that there, there's these days of labor, but on this Sabbath day, this day of the Lord, whatever you want to call it, this rest day, the the gate is open. The door is open for us to approach God, to come into worship. Well, and Christ talks himself, about himself as the Lord of the Sabbath, that he is the one who begins and ends the Sabbath. He is the one who decides how the Sabbath rest is going to be given. That when he says, come to me, all of you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He, he's saying that he has become our Sabbath so that here he's the gate that is open for us for rest, but then also thinking about our work week, right? And where the Sabbath is supposed to land, we we think about how um, we labor and we work and we toil and we try to uh, make our way through that week. And then we come to Sunday and that is this day in which we are then given rest. We are reminded of this Christ who has been with us all throughout the week, right? But that there's this new beginning each time that we come to church and we've forgotten possibly the gospel. We've forgotten grace. We've forgotten mercy. We've forgotten who our actual rest is, where our faith is supposed to lie. Then we enter into his courts. We enter into the house of the Lord. We enter in with our congregation, with our people, joining in the body of Christ. And there new beginnings happen as, as a week of toil has ended so now uh, it is is brought to completion with this this rest, with this Sabbath day, and this day is found in Christ. So then it is that at least within the Lutheran context of of worship, and I, and I'm a Lutheran pastor, so I only speak to that. I have experience in non-denominational stuff and everything, and I find it lacking, in part because you know you show up and it's this big welcome, and then you have four or five songs where you're supposed to be ushered into the worship of the Lord, even though the Lord is present with us at all times. And the focus is, is drawn into singing or it's drawn into performance or whatever. And I sit here and I always think, well, what about the people who don't like to sing, right? Well, within the Lutheran context, we show up for church and in most of our churches, we begin maybe with a brief announcement of the day and then we have the invocation, name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then we start with confession. We might have a we might have an opening hymn, 
But then we start with confession and absolution to be able to say that as you've come into this place, a new beginning has come to you, that that you confess your sins before God and one another corporately. I, I confess that I am bondage to sin and cannot free myself, that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I've done and by what I've left undone. Yeah, I've not loved you with my whole heart and I've not loved my neighbor's, neighbor as myself. Uh, that's our, our confession of sin. And then the pastor turns to you and says, in the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for you, and for his sake, God does forgive you all your sin as a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ. And by his authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we have a, a moment in the service in which we're, there's prayer, and there's a, a sermon in which the, the Bible is open to you, and hopefully it, it uh, is spoken to you in such a way that you understand why it matters to you, the, the forgiveness of sins and, and the gospel, the good news of freedom in Jesus Christ. And then we bookend the service first with the confession and absolution, the forgiveness of sins, and then we have communion in which you actually receive that sacrament of being reminded uh, and actually receive the body and blood of Christ, that we believe that he is bodily present in that bread and wine, giving himself to you to remind you that your sins are forgiven, that you have been freed, that you are saved. And so that then you go out in, in the goodness and the newness of this new beginning, just as the, the new week starts here with this Sabbath rest, so too when we come to church and we hear the gospel preached and everything, we find that um, we have this new beginning in Christ. And then also uh, we have uh, talk of this prince worshiping at the gate, right? The, the, the gate of the inner court that faces east, uh, he shall go out, but the gate shall not be shut until evening. The people of the land shall bow down at the entrance of that gate before the Lord on the Sabbaths and on the new moons. All I could think of is when Jesus comes and says, I am the door, or I am the gate of the sheep, that those who enter and exit by me are, are my sheep, right? I call them by name. That's this first thing that jumped into my head as I read this, that it is that here that our prince, Jesus Christ, he is that gate that is opened for us, that we enter through into our Sabbath rest in God. That it is that that here, this this all these gates that we've been thinking of, well, all of these gates are Christ, open wide for us to enter into the sanctuary, the peace, the love, the mercy, the worship, the prayer, the sacrifices, the offerings, all those things entering into those things through Christ, that we only come through Christ, that we don't come through ourselves, but we come through him. Um, and I also like verses nine and 10 in, in chapter 46 here, it talks about how the people of the land come before the Lord at the appointed feasts. He who enters by the North gate to worship shall go up by the South gate and that they will not go out the way that they entered. Meaning that as you come into contact with Christ, as you come into contact with God, as you come into worship, you should be changed, right? That there should be that that you don't leave as the same person. That every Sunday we come into contact with His Word, and there should be this this changing work inside of us that is God doing this work to uh, make us new to continue to put us to death, that we remember our baptism, as we speak about in Lutheran terms. 
We remember our baptism, that we were buried, that we're buried with Christ and raised to new life, that each day we are put to death. Each day we pick up our cross and we follow Jesus. And so as they enter through one gate and they go out another gate, they're not returning back to that old life, but they're returning, they're, they're, they're moving into, again, that newness and, and remembering that, yes, they will uh, enter through that old gate again because we go out into the world and we sin and we make um, judgments on one another. We harm one another. We get even more broken than we were the first time, possibly, and we enter through that old gate and then we go out through the new gate that, that we're reminded of Christ's mercy and that he takes the old us and he makes the new us, that he takes the old you and he makes the new you, even though you don't feel very much like a new you. That is what he does in you. Well, finally, I'm skipping down a bunch of this. I I didn't read much on the offerings and all that stuff, verses 11 through 15. You can go and read that yourself. But verses 16 through 18 is where we're going to end because the last portion of this chapter is just talking about how there's kitchens everywhere for the the cooking of the the sacrifices that that it's real sacrifices that are happening that is a real sacrifice that Christ did for you that it is in him that you are really uh, purchased and bought and washed and clean and all those things verses 16 through 18 though uh, if the prince makes a gift to any of his sons as his, as his inheritance, it shall belong to his sons. It is their property by inheritance. Uh, I read that verse. It's verse 16. And first thing for me, John eight thirty six. If the son makes you free, then you are free indeed. That you've been freed from being a slave and you've been made a son, a child. That goes for you ladies too that are listening. That, that, there's actually importance in the genderization here because in that day if you are if you are a slave and you are made a son that means that you are made an inheritor even if you were a female whereas girls uh, very rarely inherited anything at all special provision might have to be made for them but it always the inheritance always went to the firstborn male usually and so here when paul talks about this for instance like galatians 4 Galatians chapter four. Let me, let me read that. Uh, my, my point is this heirs, as long as they are minors are no better than slaves, though they are the owners of all the property, but they remain under guardians and trustees until the date set by the father. So with us, while we were minors, we were enslaved to the, to the elemental spirits of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. Here in, in Galatians 4, it's this discussion of we were slaves and now we are children. We were, we were enslaved uh, to sin and, and we still are uh, in this bondage to sin, that we continue to have these struggles and these pains and these weaknesses and we beg just like Paul does in Romans 7 that it would be taken from us but we find that our victory comes in Jesus Christ alone here uh, we have Ezekiel in 46 talking about how if the prince makes a gift to any of his sons that's you as his inheritance it shall belong to his sons it is their property by inheritance that you have been adopted and now uh, what God has to give to you in Christ the promise of eternal life is yours that it's not something that he will take away from you. It is given to you as inheritance. 
Because here it says, if he, if he gives a gift out of his inheritance to one of his servants or slaves, it shall be his to the year of liberty, meaning that once the, the jubilee year comes, all of it gets given back to the prince. Uh, that it's not, that there is a sense though that we have to understand that being given this inheritance as sons, it is still God's, but it's given to us as gift. If we're slaves, we have to see it as gift too, right? But we're not slaves anymore. We are sons. And so as slaves, uh, we would not feel the love of God. We would not feel as part of the family, but now we are part of the family. God has made us part of the family through Christ. And he then in verse 18 talks about how the prince shall not take any of the inheritance of the people, thrusting them out of their property. He shall give his sons their inheritance out of his own property, meaning uh, God is not going to take from your neighbor to give to you. Uh, some sort of faith, some sort of promise or anything like that. No, the promise of God is given to you out of his wealth, out of his uh, blessings, out of his mercies, out of his graces, out of his gifts. And so we we don't see God uh, impoverishing, <laughs> bringing, our, uh, bringing our neighbor to poverty over uh, the grace and the mercy that he gives to us. And, and so here, church, as we read this this chapter, as we're getting pretty close to finishing Ezekiel, we're starting to uh, continue to see, but we're, we're coming to the end of seeing how Christ is this fulfillment of this temple that was never built. That the reason why it was never built was because Christ came to fulfill those things. That he is the prince that is to come. That he is the one who has stepped into time as our, as our king, as the son of God. And he's adopted us. He has made us his own. And so we, we enter into God's mercies and his Sabbath and his rest through Christ, our gate. We enter in because Christ has opened the door for us. We, when we enter in, we, we receive this newness. We are made new. And, and we have to bind ourselves to this Christ that we might continually remember that we are new in him. And remember that he has promised us all things in his name to give us those things, that all those things might be ours, that we don't have to worry about uh, what our neighbor might receive from God. And instead, we, we bind ourselves to what Christ gives us as his promise for us. Let us pray. O God, by the passion of your blessed Son, you made an instrument of shameful death to be for us the means of life. Grant us so to glory in the cross of Christ that we may gladly suffer shame and loss for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, church, blessings to you on this week. Prayers that your Lent is going well. Uh, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs>